Chapter twenty six of From Bangkok to Bombay Siam, French Indochina, Burma, Hindustan by Frank G. Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Baby Brides and Child Widows. As I left the Taj Mahal today, I saw a wedding procession. It was headed by camels with trappings of gold embroidered cloth and ridden by bare legged men in red and gold turbans next came an elephant followed by twelve arabian horses each of which had gold leglets above its fore knees and silver bells around its neck the saddles were of cloth of silver and the decorations on the bridles were of gold behind these animals came the wedding chair and farther back a band of musicians and a crowd of men singing and dancing the wedding chair was a litter covered with a red and gold canopy upon the mattress in the curtained litter sat the bride and groom facing each other and leaning back among the pillows i peeped in through the curtains and saw them they were children the groom was a ten-year-old boy of a gingerbread color and the bride a little brown baby of five the boy wore a gold cap and a suit embroidered in gold and had heavy gold rings on his ankles and wrists around the girl's neck was a gold chain and she also was decked in gold bracelets and anklets as i looked in the groom smiled and waved his hand at me but the baby bride did not open her eyes and i was told that she had been drugged to keep her quiet during the ceremony since i have been in india i have seen a score of wedding processions and in every case the brides have been children although some of the grooms have been full-grown men several of the brides were six and eight years of age and i have seen two of five such child marriages take place every day among the hindus and number millions in a year according to the last census taken by the british india has now more than two million wives under ten and two hundred and fifty thousand of five years and less it has six million married women of from ten to fifteen and nine million more between fifteen and twenty there are altogether about seventy-two million wives in the country and one-fourth of them are far below the average age at which our girls marry the baby marriages are really not quite as shocking as they seem to us for they are usually little more than engagements or contracts that may not be broken after the wedding the little bride is taken back to her parents where she stays until she is ten or twelve years old after that age she must go to live with her husband and his father and mother in india the girls mature so rapidly that when they reach the early teens they are really women grown among the hindus marriages are always arranged by the parents they are a matter of bargain and sale and the father of the groom gets the bride's dowry every hindu male must marry so as to beget a son to perform his funeral rites and rescue his soul from hell while failure to marry off a daughter before she reaches womanhood brings disgrace upon her father in this life and hell-fire in the next hence girls are often betrothed in their cradles they are married as soon as they are able to walk and are old women at the ages at which many of our girls become wives not only with the hindus but among the moslems as well marriage is practically universal in india so that in the whole country but four percent of the males over forty and one percent of the females over thirty 
are not and have never been married these unmarried men and women are usually sufferers from some infirmity or disfigurement or they are beggars prostitutes concubines or religious devotees or belong to some group prevented by their caste rules from finding suitable mates the code of manu is most specific about the selection of a wife it advises the brahmin to wed a female free from bodily defects one with small teeth and soft limbs a moderate quantity of hair and a gait as dignified as that of an elephant let him beware of the maiden with reddish hair or of one who has no hair at all or who is sickly or red-eyed there is little race suicide in india the people want children they marry to have them and the more they bring into the world the better they like it a woman who has no children is considered a curse to the family and she who does not bear a son is branded as a failure in that case her husband is expected to take a second wife though polygamy is not usual among the hindus the marriages take place at such an early age that thousands of girls become mothers at twelve or thirteen and even at eleven twenty-five-year-old grandmothers are not unknown and i have heard of great-great-grandmothers only forty-eight years old it is written in the books of the hindu law that the first three years of a girl's life belong to the gods to each god in turn the great god the god of preservation the god of destruction from her fourth year onwards a girl is marriageable if you marry her between her fourth and her seventh year you go to a first-class heaven between the seventh and the ninth year to a second-class heaven between the ninth and the eleventh year to a third-class heaven for the parent who delays marriage longer than the eleventh year there remains only hell hindu scholars have proclaimed over and over again that this is not an authentic passage from the sacred books but was put in long after the divine revelations had been made still the old the illiterate and the bigoted take it quite seriously one of the worst things that can happen to the child bride is to be married to an old husband this is not uncommon for a father is often glad to make an alliance with a well-to-do elderly man in such cases the girl is almost sure to become a widow in a few years and in india widowhood is a horrible fate of all the women on earth there is none i think whose misery is so great as that of the widow of india especially if she is condemned to remain in her husband's family the moment he dies she becomes the servant of the household she must dress in coarse cottons her head must be shaved and she cannot bathe as do the rest of the family she must not sleep on a bed but on the bare floor with nothing but a piece of matting beneath her she cannot eat with a family and may have but one meal a day and that of the coarsest food she must fast every two weeks with special fasts now and then the idea being that the more she is tormented the greater will be the happiness of her husband in heaven she will bring bad luck to any one who meets her and no man will continue a journey if he passes a widow on starting such is the widow's life at home and she cannot get away she is ostracized everywhere she cannot hire out as a servant or no one will take her though if she is good-looking she may be employed at the temples least of all is she supposed to marry again it is an almost universal belief among the hindus 
that a woman becomes a widow because of sin in some past existence hence she devotes her widowhood to service and prayers to avert the wrath of the gods and to ensure a happy rebirth for her husband cruel enough is this fate for the woman full grown or the old woman with but a few years to live how much more terrible is it for the babies and children who become widows before they know what marriage means their whole lives are overshadowed and they suffer until death and to think that nearly twenty-seven millions are now enduring such an existence india has one widow for every six women and girls there are more than three hundred thousand young girls less than fifteen years of age living in the slavery of widowhood until comparatively recent times widows used to be drugged with opium and burned alive on their husbands funeral pyres but this practice of suttee has been pretty well stamped out by the british when the government passed a law forbidding it there was a storm of disapproval from the women themselves suttee means pure and a woman burned alive on the funeral pyre of her husband was believed to be purified of all sins committed in this life or past lives and was thus ensured a fortunate rebirth one still learns from native papers of cases in remote districts where widows have soaked their clothing in oil and applied a match thus showing their determination to share the pyres of their husbands after all it is debatable whether death by fire would not be preferable to such a widowhood the hindu widow of today burns daily with want disgrace and shame her predecessor was happy in that she died but once it does not seem strange that whereas the world over three times as many men as women take their own lives in india more women than men commit suicide the condition of women in india is such that i should think no husband would want his wife to bring a daughter into the world he knows she will be an expense at her wedding a slave when married and an outcast if widowed for these reasons the killing of female infants was common some years ago and is still practiced here and there in out-of-the-way places about fifty years ago the government passed an infanticide act and at that time investigated conditions it was found that in certain localities every year hundreds of children were reported as carried off by wolves and strange to say the wolves only took girls in the year eighteen seventy three hundred girl babies were stolen by wolves from the city of amritsar alone in times past the wells of some parts of india have been polluted by the bodies of drowned baby girls i hear it whispered that even now girl babies are strangled and that poison is sometimes laid on the mother's breast so that when her baby sucks she may sleep forever poisoning with opium was once a common practice and the indian mothers still give their babies enough opium to keep them quiet british women have to watch the native nurses like hawks to prevent their dosing their little english charges in like manner i attended a wedding the other night at which about five hundred hindus were present the groom was a bright little fellow of six dressed in a red velvet coat tight velvet trousers and a cap of cloth of gold the bride was not present and whether she was a baby or not i do not know the chief feature of the ceremony was the performance of some notch girls 
the professional dancers of the country to the music of two drums and an indian fiddle the girls went through the most surprising contortions they twisted themselves this way and that they bent back and forth as though they were india rubber most of their dancing was done without lifting their feet from the ground and some of their movements were beyond description indecent somewhat like the notch girls are the temple brides who are trained to dance at the shrines to pander to the priests and to sing obscene songs to the gods while yet children they are obtained by the temples through purchase or as gifts from the parents sometimes a man who has recovered from illness buys a girl and presents her to a temple in token of his gratitude for the return of his health or if one has a stroke of good luck he may make the priest such a present all daughters born to the temple brides are brought up as dancing girls being instructed in all the arts of seduction of late years public opinion has grown so strong against them that temple brides are no longer in evidence although they are probably quite as numerous as ever some years ago a number of hindus asked the bombay government to outlaw the temple brides in that presidency and there was an attempt to do so it failed because the masses of the people looked upon the institution as having the sanction of religion and it is the policy of the british to do nothing contrary to the religious beliefs of their subjects the law against suti is a conspicuous exception to this principle the awakening of india now going on cannot but better the condition of the native women they could scarcely be worse off than they are so that any change must be an improvement the british are using all their influence against child marriages both the brahmo samaj and the arya samaj discourage them and the social conference which meets annually in connection with the indian national congress has made the abolition of child marriages a plank in its platform the native ruler of mysore has made a law prohibiting the marriage of girls under eight and forbidding men over fifty to marry girls under fourteen the late gaekwar of baroda perhaps the most advanced of all the indian princes passed a law twenty years ago forbidding marriages of girls under nine and permitting girls of less than twelve and boys less than sixteen to marry only when their parents have obtained the consent of a special tribunal the more progressive hindus now marry between the ages of fifteen and eighteen there is also a growing demand for reform in the matter of dowries and some of the native newspapers insist that parents must come down on the extortionate charges imposed on a bride and her family some years ago a poor but educated hindu of calcutta was required by the family of his prospective son-in-law to furnish with his daughter a bride gift of more than two hundred and fifty dollars in coin and four hundred dollars in jewelry this meant that he must mortgage his home and put the rest of his life in pawn to the money-lender but his daughter who was only about fourteen poured kerosene oil on her dress and set it afire this was the note she left behind her after i am gone father i know that you will shed tears over my ashes i shall be gone but the bride will be saved may the conflagration i shall kindle set the whole country on fire following this tragedy there was an epidemic of suicides of young girls in similar circumstances one result was a league formed among young men of madras who pledged themselves not to allow dowries with their brides 
pundita ramabai who lectured in the united states some years ago to raise money for a girls school at Pune, was a pioneer in the effort to better the condition of the hindu widows born a brahmin she was educated in england and for a time she was professor of sanskrit in one of the colleges there in her school at Pune, all of the pupils are child widows some of them only five or six years old they are taught reading writing and arithmetic as well as such arts as will fit them to make their living outside they learn to sew and embroider and the school has the contract for making the embroidered devices on the caps and sleeves of the train men on the government railroads on the school farm some of the women learn dairying and sheep raising many of the graduates have become teachers others are matrons of institutions and not a few have married again some have become missionaries education is what is most needed to raise the hindu women from their poor estate but education of women is peculiarly difficult in india the upper caste women are as carefully secluded as are their moslem sisters they are said to be purda which means that they are to be seen by no men except their husbands the lower class hindu woman is not purda and goes about unveiled but since it is a kind of distinction to be purda if a lower caste husband grows wealthy his wife is likely to adopt the custom no male doctor can treat a purda woman so that women doctors are really essential to the welfare of india and one of the best things that has been done in late years for the women of india is the work of the lady hardinge medical college at delhi in training female doctors and nurses more difficult to overcome than the custom of seclusion is the lack of interest in education on the part of the women themselves in india about one male in every hundred can read and write english and one male in every ten can read and write in some one of the many languages of the indian empire this is bad enough but among the females only thirteen in a thousand are literate the women are really too ignorant to want any education in all india less than a million and a half women and girls are getting instruction of any kind and at least half the population is growing up without any schooling whatsoever our missionaries are doing much particularly for the girls of the depressed classes twenty years or more ago women of the american methodist church founded the isabella thoburn college for women at lucknow there are now in the country fifteen colleges and more than a hundred and twenty-five training schools for women but there are only about twelve hundred women getting a higher education and but three or four thousand in the training schools i have been told that there would be little trouble in increasing the number of such institutions if there were any chance of filling them with students end of chapter twenty six